Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning. My name is Lindsay, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the SpinMaster fourth quarter 2020 earnings conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number 1 on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Thank you. Sophia Masukis, you may begin your conference. Thank you, Lindsay. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to SpinMaster's Financial Results Conference Call for the full year and fourth quarter ended, December 31, 2020. I am joined this morning by Renan Herrera, SpinMaster's CEO, co-CEO, and Mark Siegel, SpinMaster's Chief Financial Officer. For your convenience, the press release, MD&A, and audited consolidated financial statements for the full year and fourth quarter of 2020 are available on the Investor Relations section of our website at spinmaster.com and on CDAR. Before we begin, please note that remarks on this conference call may contain forward-looking statements about SpinMaster's current and future plans, expectations, intentions, results, levels of activity, performance goals or achievements, or any other future events or developments. Forward-looking statements are based on information currently available to management and on estimates and assumptions made based on factors that management believes are appropriate and reasonable in the circumstances. However, there could be no assurances that such estimates and assumptions will prove to be correct. Many factors could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied by the forward-looking statements. As a result, SpinMaster cannot guarantee that any forward-looking statements will materialize and you are cautioned not to place undue reliance on these forward-looking statements. Except as may be required by law, SpinMaster has no obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statements, whether because of new information, future events, or otherwise. For additional information on these assumptions and risks, please consult the cautionary statements regarding forward-looking information contained in the company's earnings release dated March 1, 2020. Please note that SpinMaster reports in U.S. dollars and all dollar amounts are expressed today in U.S. currency unless otherwise noted. I would like to turn the conference call now over to Renan Harari. Thank you, Sophia, and good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. What a difference a year makes. At this time last year, we were coming off a year in which we faced significant operational challenges, and we had already started to see the early effects of COVID. Overall, I'm exceptionally proud of our team's focus, adaptability, and agility to execute our day-to-day business, as well as to simultaneously make significant progress in improving our operational performance. Through 2020, we adapted to a shifting and evolving landscape, and we are very happy today to have demonstrated concrete signs of our progress. Let me highlight a few key areas of importance. In the fourth quarter, our revenue grew nearly 4% driven by dramatically higher digital games revenue. As we have indicated would be the case, we were able to show significantly lower distribution costs and sales allowances. 
We improved our gross margins and EBITDA margin in the Q4 compared to last year and ended 2020 with the lowest year-end in inventory and accounts receivable levels since 2016. We established three creative centers, toys, entertainment, and digital games. We have strengthened these creative centers by putting leadership in place with broad and deep skill sets that will allow us to drive innovation and growth. These centers are operationally independent, but linked through cross-collaboration to maximize growth and optimize our return on investments. As a result of the evolution of these three creative centers and the rise in e-commerce, we are evolving rapidly into a fully-fledged children's entertainment company and are interacting with our customers more broadly and more deeply than ever before. Our customers can access our products and content through a wide range of channels, including brick-and-mortar retailers, subscriptions, our games-as-a-service model, streaming services and broadcasters, in theaters, and directly through our direct-to-consumer websites. I want to update you on, on the progress we have made on the operational challenges we encountered in 2019. In Q4, we saw the benefits of the remediation efforts we spent much of 2020 implementing. From an operational perspective, we focused on two key areas in 2020, which will benefit 2021 and beyond. First, our supply chain op optimization. After reducing our North American DC structure footprint from 18 to four, one less than our target of five, we are now well positioned to manage inventory and to address changing demands in our industry. This streamlined structure, along with our one SKU, one location inventory management approach, allowed us to improve customer service, reduce inventory, eliminate waste, speed up the flow of products, and reduce customer chargebacks. Our customer-focused team strategy with consumer-first internal hubs focused on a single large customer, customer group is working well. We're now performing at or better than the benchmark historical cost levels when you also consider the growth in European domestic sales since, 2000, since 2018. We are typically higher than North America. We intend to continue to improve further in 2021 and beyond. Secondly, we focused on process simplification and automation and will continue to do this, continue to do this year and beyond, despite the significant progress made in 2020. The simplification and further autom automation of our business processes will increase efficiencies and drive cost improvements. We'll be focused more on data-driven insights, and we will aim to refine our systems to increase productivity. Overall, we believe that we have not only remediated the issues we have, we have, but we are now in a stronger position operationally than we have ever been before. Looking at some of the factors that drove our revenue growth in the fourth quarter, one of the standout items was the performance of Tokaboka, our digital games business. Toka Life World is a game that regularly evolves with new content and play sets, as well as creator tools that allow kids to express themselves and personalize their experience. Playing digital games has become an integral part of children's lives, and this trend has intensified during the pandemic as kids turn to gaming and to connect and communicate with their friends. With kids spending more time at home and with parents being more flexible with screen time, we quadrupled our digital games revenue in Q4 
primarily due to the growth of Tokalife World Platform. Kids are playing games, videoing themselves, and streaming the videos onto platforms such as TikTok, Twitch, and YouTube for others to watch. Tokaboka has seen explosive growth in consumer engagement over the past past year, and we believe that this major factor behind Tokalife World growth. We generated over 4 billion views to the Tokaboka hashtag on TikTok in 2020, and are at nearly 5 billion currently. We now have over 30 monthly, 30 million monthly active users for Tokalife World. In total, the Tokaboka ecosystem currently has over 40 million monthly active users compared to approximately 19 million last year. In addition, we saw strong growth in our Sago Mini subscription business, where we had over 240,000 subscribers across Sago Mini World, Sago Mini School, and Sago Mini Box at the end of 2020, compared to just over 119,000 at the end of 2019. This large monthly active user and subscriber base is a tremendous asset for us to develop and direct to develop a direct relationship with consumers and, and to which can market and sell new digital games as we expand our product offerings. Socializing the digital universe is one of the major trends that has emerged from the pandemic. In this emerging digital universe, kids can hang out in multiple locations and geographies and interact together. We are now working hard on our next digital game product launches, including Toka Days, a multiplayer game going live in Q4 2021, and we just launched a new Toka Boca subscription box program targeted at kids 5 to 9. Saga will focus on edutainment, a way for young kids to play and learn simultaneously, another area which grew extensively during the pandemic as parents sought to ensure their kids do not lag academically. I want to briefly discuss two brands in the Toy Creative Center, Kinetic Fan and Bakugan. One of the standout performances for the year was, was the Kinetic Fan brand. Kinetic Fan continues to solidify its status globally, but also increasingly in other markets. Its surging popularity and strong growth, positive online reviews, and extremely popular social media presence has helped, has helped solidify the Kinetic Fan brand as a childhood activity, activity compound in households around the world. For context, we have around 20 million social media views per day and have had over 14 billion total views. We are pleased with the response to the Bakugan franchise since its relaunch. Together with innovative toys, we have built a multi-channel content approach encompassing television, SVOD, video games, and YouTube. Bakugan toy sales were strong at the beginning of 2020, but slowed as the pandemic restricted social play for kids. Despite these restrictions, the Bakugan still performed well in many countries, especially in Europe, including recently reaching number one in its category in Germany. In 2020, we launched the second season of the TV show on Cartoon Network and Netflix, introducing a new theme and corresponding toy innovation. The second half of season two launched on Netflix in early February. This spring, we, we have had two additional drops on Netflix with an hour-long special coming on March 15th and the launch of season three on April 15th. 
We're excited about growing and expanding the franchise in 2021, especially as we anticipate social play for kids significantly expanding. We're experiencing, we are working on creating an all new Bakugan experience in the world of Roblox to help further engage with fans by bringing Bakugan to life in the game. For the past few years, we observed the changing consumer content consumption patterns and have mobilized and established multi-platform approach to content production within our entertainment creative centers to stay ahead of the curve. Telling stories and creating engaging and enduring characters that resonate with kids around the world is important to us regardless of what screen they are watching. Our commitment to storytelling is working. Paw Patrol, currently in its eighth season, continues to be the number one preschool show. Fans around the globe responded with excitement as we announced Spin Master's feature film debut with Paw Patrol the movie. The animated feature film, produced by Spin Master, includes a cast of world-famous voice and music characters and is scheduled to de debut in the theaters in late August 2021, in association with Nickelodeon and distributed by Paramount. Late last year, we launched our first-ever straight-to-streaming series with the Netflix original Mighty Express. We've taken a multifaceted approach to content creation for Mighty Express that includes a YouTube destination, with short-form content, music videos, and character bios, as well as a mobile app to further engage kids. Spinmaster has retained the rights to the distribution of the series outside of SVOD, including licensing of consumer products and the toy line. While we currently have 10 series and multiple short-form series airing or streaming in 190 countries and 30 languages, the development team within the Entertainment Creative Center is constantly searching for fresh stories and ideas that will captivate children and families alike. We are very proud that Spin Master is producing its first feature film, Paw Patrol the Movie. The Entertainment Creative Center is building on the feature film strategy and will be bringing out other movies in the upcoming years. We also continue to partner with the best licensors to build their presence as a toy partner or high profile brands. In addition to core franchises, such as the Monster Jam with Feld Entertainment and DC Batman with Warner Brothers, we announced several new strategic toy license agreements in 2020, including Warner Brothers Harry Potter and the Wizarding World, Feld Supercross, and Riot League of Legends, all of which have scheduled toy launches in fall 2021. We are proud of the trust that these IP partners have shown us and look forward to creating and unveiling innovative toys for kids and fans around the world. Within the past year, the impact of the pandemic and its profound economic and social effects has significantly changed the mindset of the consumer. Consumers are increasingly comfortable and accepting of online and e-commerce. E-commerce penetration and usage grew exponentially with strong nuances by region, and we believe that as more consumers have experienced the convenience associated with these platforms through the pandemic, e-commerce usage will continue to grow. Consumers are concerned about and focused on their family's mental health and well-being. The pandemic has had an undeniable effect on the state of mind of parents and kids alike. While in the beginning of the lockdown, parents were mostly focused on toys that would keep their kids busy, now they're increasingly interested in ways to bring their kids joy, relieve boredom, and bring specialness to 
to an otherwise monotonous time. Toys, digital games, and entertainment are the perfect antidote to that monotony and continue to play an important role moving forward. Parents have a renewed focus on togetherness. Families are finding new ways to bond and stay busy. Co-viewing content between kids and parents has increased over COVID and is expected to carry on after lockdown. When social distancing, social distancing restrictions subside, undoubtedly traffic will return in store, but in-store behaviors and interactions will likely be different. Customers are hungry for new and different. Classics were, sa were a safe choice in 2020, but we expect consumers may shift to newness. This will allow Spin Master to, le to lean into its strengths in innovative product development. Continue to tool our marketing strategies to align with these consumer trends and to make marketing as innovative as our products. We're uniquely positioned to do that as a diversified children's entertainment company across three creative centers. Our goal is to use the strength, the strength of three of all three to build a fluid ecosystem that allows us to own and grow more of our own audience, in turn generating organic growth for our brands. Digital now represents 50% of our marketing mix in the U.S. and will continue this mix into 2021. We will continue to operate digital first and we continue to increase spend supporting e-commerce, driving to our retailers, dot-com presence, and maximizing sales online. In early January, we completed the acquisition of Rubik's Brands Limited, owner of the Rubik's Cube, and one of the industry's most iconic brands. We're excited for the opportunity to put our innovation on the entire Rubik's portfolio and expand distribution through our global footprint. The acquisition of the Rubik's Cube further strengthens our presence in the games and puzzle category and gives us a platform for further innovation and global leverage. We're always on the lookout for creative M&A opportunities that complement our organic growth strategy and we continue to apply a disciplined approach to assessing all opportunities. We're increasingly focused on the entertainment and digital games area for M&A opportunities. Given our growth of digital games, our potential M&A universe has expanded dramatically. Let me conclude by addressing our recent executive leadership changes. The dual CEO structure we have had for decades has served us well, but we believe now, my apologies, but we believe we now have a great opportunity to transition to a single CEO model and for Anton and I to transition to different roles. To that end, we appointed Max Rangel as Spin Master's new CEO, effective April 2021. Max is a seasoned executive who has successfully led global business, businesses, generating growth across multiple consumer package categories. He's an effective leader with a well established ability to unlock the potential of teams to boost organizational capability. Beginning in April, Anton and I, Anton and I will move into higher level strategic growth-oriented board roles, continuing to drive the long-term vision and strategy for Spin Master. I will maintain involvement in the creative process for entertainment and oversight of the Digital Games Creative Center. Anton will provide guidance on Spin Master's talents and culture globally. We will continue to be actively involved in areas of the business we are passionate about, including external partnerships and a strong focus on acquisitions. Together, we are energized 
to be taking the next step in our journey. I believe more than ever, our performance in 2020 demonstrates the power of a diversified portfolio of brands, entertainment franchises, and digital games, and the benefits of having a sound balance sheet. With a clear vision for the future and exceptional leadership and an exceptional leadership team, a solid operating platform and financial foundation and three thriving creative centers, we are optimistic for 2021. We are, however, mindful of the unknowns ahead of us, including the ever evolving COVID situation. In the long term, our strategic direction and diverse geographic platform, combined with the commitment of our global teams, positions us to take advantage of the evolving opportunities to grow and build long-term value. I'll now turn over the call to Mark. Thank you, Renee. In the fourth quarter, we delivered significant year-over-year improvements in our financial results. At the outset of 2020, we entered the year acutely aware of the operational difficulties we needed to address and faced additional challenges related to COVID. However, we committed to resolving the challenges we faced in 2019 and were able to methodically execute our plan and realize significant improvements in most areas, as evidenced by our Q4 adjusted EBITDA of $51.5 million, an increase of nearly $45 million over last year. This is a direct result of the operational improvement initiatives executed throughout 2020. We continue to strengthen our balance sheet, exiting 2020 with a net cash position of $321 million after generating over $232 million in free cash flow. Our solid financial position, together with the achievement of our operational improvement initiatives, sets a very solid foundation for growth for 2021 and beyond. Our gross product sales in the quarter declined by 7.1%, with a favorable foreign exchange impact of $4.3 million. On a constant currency basis, gross product sales declined by 7.9%. One of the factors contributing to the decline was the position we took on domestic inventory in Q4 based on retailer order patterns we were seeing. Consumers were more mission-focused in their shopping, looking to reduce the amount of time they spent in stores. We believe retailers had this in mind when they started offering their Black Friday discounts earlier and spread them out, resulting in consumer spending shifting earlier in the quarter. We believe around 20% of December POS was pulled forward due to both retailer price promotions in October and pull forward of Black Friday deals in November. Given this pull forward, we chose to avoid carrying domestic inventory too late into Q4 and potentially into 2021, and this affected our ability to fulfill some late-season replenishment and e-commerce orders, especially on hot items such as Megalodon RC, Present Pets, and Hatchimals Crystal Flyers. While this meant we did not maximize our sales, the position we took allowed us to achieve our best sell-through and the cleanest retail and Spinmaster inventory levels in many years. This allowed us to exit the year with strong demand and brand momentum, which positions us well for 2021. Despite the decline in gross product sales, total revenue in the fourth quarter of 2020 was $490.6 million, up 3.6% or 2.4% on a constant currency basis. 
Contributing to the increase was the strong performance of digital games with over 400% with, with revenue growth, as well as a decline in sales allowances. On a geographic basis, Europe was the strongest region as gross product sales rose 2.3%. Gross product sales in North America were down 11.8%. In the rest of the world, gross product sales were down 8.1%. International gross product sales represented 46.8% of the total, compared to 43.9%. Gross product sales in the activities, games and puzzles and plush category rose 1.9% over last year, driven by continued growth of kinetic sand. Games and puzzles grew for the year, driven by strength in this category during the pandemic. Growth came from classics, adult puzzles, and evergreen family games such as headbands. Offsetting this growth was declines in plush, which comprises Gund. Gund continues to be negatively affected by COVID-related specialty channel closures in the U.S., and the plush category was one of the worst performing in the industry. The remote control and inter interactive characters category was down 43.6%, mostly attributable to the expected decline in Hatchimals, offset by strength in Monster Jam RC, where we saw exceptional performance from both the Mega Grave Digger and the Megalod Megalodon Storm trucks. The boys' action and construction category was up 1.8%, driven by sales of DC licensed products, tech deck and present pets, partly offset by declines in Bakugan, Dragons and Boxer. Overall, we are very pleased with our performance with the DC line this year. Our preschool and girls segment grew by 1% in the fourth quarter with higher Paw Patrol and pre-cool sales more than offsetting declines in other products. Paw Patrol showed strength in the quarter in Europe and the rest of the world. The Paw Patroller Dino Rescue was the standout item and won the Preschool Toy of the Year Award. For 2021, we are excited about the upcoming Wizarding World Harry Potter Fantastic Beats franchise license line in girls. Let's look more closely at POS. According to NPD, the toy categories that performed best were building sets, outdoor sport toys, and games and puzzles. Our global POS in Q4 was up 5%, compared to 7% for the industry. In Q4, our global POS x the US was up 8%, compared to 3% for the industry. This highlights the strength of our international platform, especially in Europe, where we performed very strongly, growing 9% in Q4, compared to 2% for the industry. We performed extremely well in key markets such as the UK, France, and Germany. In the US, POS was flat for Q4 compared to a 13% increase for the industry. For the full year, global POS increased 9% in line with the industry's 10%. Excluding the US, our global POS in 2020 was up 9% compared to 6% for the industry. For the full year, our US POS was up 8% compared to 16% for the industry. The primary driver of our relatively weaker US performance compared to the industry was the significant growth the industry saw in categories such as outdoor, fashion dolls, role play, and building sets, where we have a relatively insignificant presence. 
If one isolates the MPD categories in the U.S., where SpinMaster has more than $10 million in sales, our U.S. POS grew 11% compared to 7% for the industry. Looking at some key brands in the U.S., we saw higher POS in both Q4 and 2020 for Kinetic Sand, Bakugan, Monster Jam, and the games portfolio. On a full-year basis, POS increases for these brands were strong double digits, and in the case of Kinetic Sand, POS was up nearly 100%. Turning to Paw Patrol, globally POS was up 4% for 2020. Excluding the US, global Paw Patrol POS grew 15% for 2020 and showed strong POS growth in most regions. In the US, POS for Paw Patrol declined 8% in Q4 and 6% for 2020. This decline was primarily driven by the very strong performance of higher price point Paw Patrol items such as the Dino Patroller, offset by the reduction in POS for items with price points under $10, which lend themselves more to in-store impulse purchases and declined during the pandemic. Current global POS is solidly up 14%, while US POS year-to-date is up 13%. Current POS on Paw Patrol is very strong. In the US, POS is now up over 18% year-to-date and 24% globally year-to-date. Kinetic Sand is up just under 50% currently, and Batman is up 30%. We expect Paw to respond very well to new content in 2021, including our movie launch in August. From a channel perspective, the shift to e-commerce continued. In those markets where we sell directly, our e-commerce penetration was over 30% in 2020, and even higher in certain markets in Europe. For 2021, we're continuing to expand our e-commerce focus with our customers globally, as well as through major retailer marketplaces. Turning back to the P&L, a significant contributor to our revenue growth and improved margin in the quarter was the decrease in our sales allowances. Sales allowances for the quarter declined to 15.1% of gross product sales compared to 19.8% last year. This is the lowest level of sales allowances we have seen in the first quarter, fourth quarter since 2016. This decrease was mostly due to the, to the strong sell-through of our fall 2020 lineup and lower markdowns, promotions, and non-compliance charges compared to Q419. The improvement in sales allowances was most pronounced in North America, where we experienced significant logistics and warehouse issues and came as a direct result of the steps we took to address these operational issues, these, sorry, these operational challenges throughout 2020. Furthermore, the significant improvements were made despite a relative increase in our sales in Europe, which typically has higher sales allowance rates. Another important contributor to revenue growth and improved gross margin was the increase in other revenue, which grew 24.4 million or 76.5% to 56.3 million. This quarter, we provided further details on the primary components of other revenue, digital games revenue and entertainment and licensing re revenue in our financial statements and MDNA. Other revenue growth was largely attributable 
to the 405% increase in digital games revenue to 31.8 million, primarily from in-app purchases in Toka Life World and growth in the Sago Mini subscription platforms. Entertainment and licensing revenue was 24.5 million for the quarter, down 4.3%. Gross profit for the quarter was 241 million, or 49.1% of total revenue, compared to 226.1 million, or 47.8% of total revenue last year. This 130 basis point increase in gross margin was the result of lower sales allowances and higher digital games revenues, partially offset by a change in product mix to lower gross margin products such as outdoor games and puzzles and higher closeout volume in the quarter compared to last year, directly related to our goal to reduce inventory levels. SG&A decreased 570 basis points in Q4 compared to last year. As a percentage of total revenue, SG&A was 43.2%, down from 48.9%. The reduction in costs was primarily related to lower distribution costs. Distribution costs declined by approximately $24 million to 4.6%, compared to 9.8%. This sharp decline was the direct result of all the initiatives we implemented to remediate the operational issues arising in 2019. In Q4, we recorded adjusted net income of $14.6 million, or adjusted diluted EPS of $0.14, cents, over $22 million better when compared with an adjusted net loss of $7.8 million, or a loss of $0.08 cents per share in Q4-19. Adjusted EBITDA was $51.5 million in the quarter compared to $6.7 million. EBITDA margin was 10.5% up 910 basis points from 1.4%. Free cash flow in Q4 was 123.7 million compared to negative 19.3 million. Turning now to our full year 2020 performance, I will call out a few key items. Sales allowances for 2020 as a percentage of gross product sales were 12.8% down from 13.5%. At the end of H1 2020, Sales allowances were 250 basis points, were up 250 basis points compared to H1 2019, but ended 2020 70 basis points down. This highlights our strong sell-through and improved operational performance, which drove lower markdowns and non-compliance charges. Other revenue increased by 31.5% to $155 million. Higher digital games revenue of $76.8 million, which nearly tripled compared to 2019, was offset by lower entertainment and licensing revenue, which declined 14.7% to $78.2 million. Gross margin represented 46.3% compared to 49.6%. The decrease in gross margin was a function of product mix, closeouts of excess and obsolete inventory, and higher freight costs especially in the first half of 2020, which more than offset the benefits of lower sales allowances and higher digital gains revenue in the second half of the year. SG&A decreased by 10.9 million or 1.7%. Lower marketing and distribution costs more than offset higher administrative expenses. 2020 was an anomaly from a marketing spend perspective as we spent less than 9% of our revenue driven by a focus on fewer items in the COVID world. Our marketing ROI was double the rate of previous years, 
with significantly higher sell-through. In 2020, we'll be back at the traditional 10% marketing to revenue ratio by supporting more brands and going deeper in core brands compared to 2020. Adjusted net income for 2020 was 53.4 million with adjusted diluted EPS of 51 cents compared to 92.8 million or 90 cents. From a tax perspective, we generated an income tax recovery of 36.1 million in 2020. This comprised a one-time 33.3 million recovery arising from an internal transfer of intangible property in Q1. Excluding this one-time recovery, the effective income tax rate for 2020 was negative 29.8% compared to 24.4% in 2019, driven by jurisdictions where pre-tax income or losses arose, which generated a net tax benefit of approximately 2.8 million in 2020. Adjusted EBITDA for 2020 was 180.6 million, a decline of 38 million over 2019. Adjusted EBITDA margin was 11.5% compared to 13.8%. The year-over-year decline in profitability was primarily caused by the carryover of operating issues arising in 2019 Q4, which continued into 2020. We estimate that the impact on 2020 adjusted EBITDA relating to these operational issues was approximately $50 million, of which $40 million was felt in H1. We are very pleased to have seen significant improvement in the second half profitability, with H2 2020 adjusted EBITDA at $191 million, up $35 million, or 22%, over H2 2019. Free cash flow for the year, including changes in networking capital, was $232.1 million, compared to only $4.7 million in 2019. The increase in free cash flow is primarily attributable to significantly higher cash flow from operations, driven by the reduction in core working capital. Core networking capital for 2020 was 13.1% of revenue, compared to 21.5% last year. Inventory was down from 185 million in 2019 to 102 million at the end of 2020, and we ended the year with very clean inventory, both in our warehouse and at retail. This strong performance allowed us to end 2020 with $321 million in cash compared to 115 million. With this ample liquidity and very strong balance sheet, we are well positioned to take advantage of strategic acquisition opportunities. Turning to our outlook, we are reinstating guidance for 2021 following the withdrawal of guidance in March 20. As discussed, our focus was to be structurally well positioned by the end of 2020 to be able to enter 2021 at a run rate that allows for a return close to or at our historical performance levels. I'm pleased to say we achieved our goals and are entering 2021 with strong operational momentum. As a reminder, our guidance cycle is phased over the course of each year in line with our reporting, today, May, August, and November. At each stage, we revisit our guidance with increasingly solid data based on the flow of orders and shipments. With respect to COVID, we'll continue monitoring the environment very closely and assess the impact of SpinMaster as information becomes available. For 2021, 
we expect gross product sales to grow low to mid single digits. In terms of phasing, we expect the split between revenue to be 32 to 34% H1 and 66 to 68% H2. In terms of our domestic versus FOB mix, we expect that to be around 50-50 for 2021. We are introducing a new guidance metric for 2021. This new metric, total revenue, incorporates revenue from digital games and entertainment. We expect 2021 total revenue to increase mid to high single digits. From a profitability perspective, we expect 2021 adjusted EBITDA margin to be mid to high teens. In addition, we expect depreciation and amortization to be up approximately $18 million compared to 2020. Of that, $16 million results from more de deliveries of entertainment content. We expect interest expense to remain in line with last year and our effective tax rate to be between 24 and 25 percent. We expect capital expenditures of approximately 5 to 6 percent of revenue. To conclude, as we look to the balance of 2021, our team is fully aligned and we remain deeply committed to disciplined cost management, operational efficiency, and productivity gains as we set the foundation for a return to even further growth and margin improvement. We will continue the momentum we developed in 2020, leveraging the significant improvements in our operations to propel us forward into 2021 and beyond. We continue to believe in our long-term financial framework and that at its core, our formula for innovation and growth across toys, entertainment, and digital games is stronger than ever. That concludes the formal element of our call. We'll now be pleased to take questions. Operator, please open the line. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you. As a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad if you would like to ask a question. Our first question comes from Brian Morrison with TD Securities. Your line is now open. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, maybe start with Ronin. I want to talk about the digital initiative. We've seen this big uptick on Toka Life and, and you guide for it to continue its upward trajectory. I heard the prepared remarks, but maybe you can just update us. What's the next iteration to build on this success? Is it more depth within the current apps and services such as Toka Life, or is there expanded breadth? I guess I'm just trying to get, you know, what are the needs of your 40 million users to build on this momentum? Could you see some decline in users as the pandemic eases? And then lastly, can you just update us what the geographic breakdown is of, uh, of the digital contribution? Yeah, sure, Brian. Thanks, Thanks, and nice to hear your voice. 
Um, I think the one thing that that um, became very evident this year is that Toka Life is it's been a game that's been out for now over three, four years. And the thing about the games as a service business is that you're constantly able to iterate within the game and constantly put out new and fresh um, aspects to the game. So when you look at our product roadmap, every couple of months we add a new creator tool or a new um, uh, place for kids to visit in the game or a new destination. And so the game is just, it's like an ever expanding universe. It's not like traditional games when we grew up, you know, you played the game and, and whatever was in the box, whatever you got is what you got. This is a live service that we're giving to, to children. Um, and they're able to enter it for free. And then as they uh, spend more time in the universe, they're able to uh, add on different packs that they want to buy for $1.99 or $4.99 or $3.99. And, and so the game has just gotten better and it's just gotten a lot richer. I wouldn't even call it a game. I'd call it a, it's, it's a, it's a creative universe for kids and it's a way for them to uh, uh, interact and actually create their own stories. And what we saw uh, coming into um, August and September was there was a crazy amount of people that were actually uh, um, filming themselves with playing in the game and then uploading it to TikTok. And that exposure um, and the expansion of the game really started to increase the amount of users that were in, in the world. And so if you, if you look at things like Roblox, or you look at things like Minecraft, uh, Toka Boca Life is, is similar in the sense that it's an evolving game that just gets better over time. And so that's, const that's what the team is, is constantly looking to do, is bring out freshness and newness within that universe and within the game. Um, and I think there's a multiplier effect that happens when you have that many people seeing the product, playing with the product, telling their friends, um, and it just, there's a bit of a, there's a, there's a multiplier effect. Um, and also there's a multiplier effect when you have that many people coming in to play the game. And so that's, that's with Toka Life. And then we're very excited with, with uh, Toka Days, which is going to be our first ever um, multiplayer game uh, for mobile. So kids can actually play together, similar to the way they play in Roblox um, and in these metaverses. And the, and the interesting thing that I, I talked about earlier, Brian, was just how, you know, kids are playing games now, but not only are they playing, but they're actually socializing in these metaverses and they're using these games to tell stories and share experiences with their friends. And so Toka Days is really um, uh, uh, our way to enter into this whole social way that kids are actually um, interacting today. Um, and uh, doing it in our in our own Toka Boca um, way, and uh, and then the last thing is that you know the nice thing is that it's very hard to launch games and to get audience um, today. But once you have uh, a large user base, it's kind of like a moat, um, and so at least you're able to get trial for your games like Toka Days. And Renee, okay. just, just talk about the uh, right. global the global nature uh, that Brian asked from a. From oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Brian. Brian, were you were you able to hear me? Okay. Perfectly. Okay, fantastic. Uh, in terms of the the you know we can maybe share that with you guys in the future. Um, it is Tokaboka is extremely global. I think I, I, it's 
It's remarkable. It's remarkable. Um, let us come back to uh, maybe in the investors on, on the investor day on the 9th. Uh, we can give you a little bit more detail on the, the global breakdown. The majority, there's, I, I wouldn't say the majority. I mean, I'd say under 50% in the United States. So it is very much a, a global, global brand. I mean, I, I'd, I'd probably say that it's, it's bought and played in over 100 countries around the world. But let us get back to you on that. Yeah. Okay. Renan, just, um, just specifically, Brian, uh, Sago Mini, just as a data point, is played in, in over 170 current, uh, countries currently. But we'll, we'll provide you more data on March 9th, as Renan says. Okay. And then, Renan, the DC optimization, well done on making the necessary changes. I think you said you're down to four now. Your prior target was five in terms of DCs. Are there more opportunities now that you're, that you're uncovering now that you've made the success? And are you, need, are you where you need to be on this initiative? Is there more room to go here? No, I think, first of all, thank you. It was a lot of hard work, and the team did an amazing job. Um, and Paul Blum, uh, my partner in this initiative, he did a great job. Excuse me. So I would say that, uh, I would say, I think we're, we're where we need to be. I think we where we need to be, and I think that we're going to continue to um, uh, work with these DCs and strengthen our relationships and, uh, you know, prepare ourselves for this ever-evolving landscape with uh, e-commerce. Okay. And in the interest of time for others, Mark, I just one last quick one. Um, your cash resources, obviously you've got a war chest here. Is there anything uh, outside of M&A opportunities that you might consider like a return of capital, such as a special dividend, or is there just too many organic opportunities out there? Uh, Brian, hi, good morning. Um, not at this time. Um, you know, we, we have a evolving M&A strategy, and we feel very confident in that M&A strategy, particularly as we continue to focus now even more so on digital games and the entertainment area. So we're going we're gonna to play out our M&A strategy, and you know, we see a lot of opportunities there. If in a couple of years, if this doesn't actually uh, work out for us and we're sitting with uh, significant excess cash, then we'll have to have a discussion about a special dividend or something along those lines. But that's not on the horizon at this point. All right. Congratulations, guys. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Our next question comes from Sadat Khan with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Right, great. Thanks and good morning. Just a question on the margin guidance that you provided. The range is pretty broad from mid to high teens. Can you maybe share some thoughts on what you need to do to get to that high end of the margin guidance range and in what scenario would you be sort of at the low end? Thanks. Okay, Saba, thank you. Good morning. Um, look, we typically talk to around seven uh, levers when we talk about our margins. I, I just want to say we gave you, you know, the guidance range, you know, at this point it's early in the year. We have to be measured. Uh, and so I would say the midpoint of that range is something that we'd be targeting as a reasonable point at this time of the year. But typically, we, you know, we look at pricing as a, as a key option. We look at our mix of products, and particularly where we own the IP. And um, we look at sales allowances as, a, as an area that we focus on. Uh, we did very well in Q4, as you saw. We had strong sell-through. We had lower markdowns as a result of that. Our operational infrastructure improvements have driven significant reductions in non-compliance charges, and that's a big impact on, on, on margins as well. We also look at L&M income, entertainment income, with a poor movie coming up, and then digital games uh, is an area which drives 
uh, significantly accretive revenue when we're able to, to generate that. And so when you combine that with all of our productivity initiatives on COGS, you know, strategic sourcing, volume rebates, re-engineering, and our continued focus on, on operating efficiencies and overhead costs and driving operating leverage, those were all the factors that we considered when we uh, increased our guidance uh, for uh, 2021. And those are the things that will continue to either drive us towards the low end of the range, the midpoint point of the range, or the high end of the range. It's a little bit early to be too specific at this point. All right, great, thanks. And then just on Paw Patrol, you shared some color earlier on some of the trends you're seeing into Q1. Can you maybe talk about how you expect that franchise to evolve this year? You know, there seems to be a bit of variance in U.S. versus international trends, maybe some color on what caused that. And then I guess for this issue, we really expect most of the growth in, I guess, call it Q3 around the movie launch. How should we think about that platform? So I'll give you some POS and other specific data, and then I'll pass it back to Renan to, to give his views on on the overall franchise and the movie. But if you if you look at uh, Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol was a very interesting situation in 2020. There's really five key points that you have to understand. Firstly, at, at the end of 2019, Q4 2019, we shipped in too much into the US and we landed up with heavy end of the year uh, retail imagery at the end of 2019. So we had, to actually, we, we had to carefully manage our sell-in in 2020 and also manage our media spend very carefully. Throughout the year, COVID hurt poor as many gifting occasions like birthdays were lost, especially in the second and third quarters. In the fourth quarter, higher price point items did very well, but less than $10 price points did not do well because those tend towards more uh, impulse shopping opportunities, and those lagged in the U.S. The interesting thing is that the, the decline in poor from a shipment's perspective really only affected the U.S. In the rest of the world, poor was up strongly in Europe, in Australia, in Canada, and all other regions. So it was a little bit of a tale of two stories, but we feel pretty confident in poor for 2021. Current POS is very strong, up 18% in the U.S. and up 24% currently. And so we are excited about Paul for 2021, especially with the movie coming up. Renan, would you like to, to comment on that? Yeah, just briefly, I mean, you know, we're, you know, Saba, we're very fortunate to have very beloved characters. And our strategy since the beginning has been to constantly tell new and innovative stories with those characters. And um, we're going to continue doing that. And we're now doing that in the traditional Paw Patrol. We do it with two new themes every single year. And as you saw with Dino, uh, Dino Rescue, I mean, it was super innovative. You know, how, how do you bring together rescue pups and dinosaurs together and, and tell that story without um, uh, uh, veering too far from the tone and tenor of what the franchise is all about. Um, and the team did an exceptional job with that. And now you have the third, what I call the third aspect to how we tell stories with these beloved characters, which is bringing them to the, to the big screen and telling a 80 minute long format, uh, fully produced movie. Um, and that's the third way that kids can actually enjoy their beloved characters. And so you're going to continue to see us um, play in all three of those areas. The, the traditional Paw Patrol, 
the themes on television, and then the uh, movies. And we're going to continue that year in, year out, um, and really uh, entertain kids in all those formats and make sure that pause are very visible um, and the stories are, are rich in their current and, and they're relevant to today. Um, and so that's our long term and we're going to do that year in, year out um, and uh, really entertain the kids. Okay, thanks. And just maybe we're going to continue with you on the entertainment side, you know, whether it be the Paw Patrol movie or the DC Comics license, you know, just with some of the theater closures and things like that, how are you guys thinking about maybe, you know, backup plans perhaps um, doing what some of the other entertainment companies have done? And also, have there been any discussions with DC Comics on maybe extending the terms of your license, given that, you know, there just wasn't a big movie um, audience in the last, I guess, year and over the course of this year? Yeah, I mean, we're, we started this relationship with DC, and I think that um, everybody's very happy with the results. Uh, very happy with the, the POS and the total sales. Um, the team's done an incredible job with the line, and I think the consumer is really appreciating the newness and the freshness to it. And so, you know, we've gone into this uh, partnership with uh, DC um, with a long-term lens, and, uh, and that's our goal, is to, to be long-term partners with them. We'd like to be partners with them for life. So that's our goal, and we'd love to execute on that. Um, and we're, you know, we're understanding with movies, you know, things change and the environment changes, and movies come early and they come late. And so we just have to be good partners with them. And um, and but we're looking at this relationship for for the long term. We we always want to be a partner at DC. We don't want to go in and out of this relationship. It also takes a lot of time for the teams to to gel together. And we also have Wizarding World now, which is fantastic. So that uh, uh, solidifies our relationship even even deeper. And um, in terms of the, 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 the movies and stuff like that, what's going to, you know, it's still, it's still too early to call what's going to happen, but there's lots of options on the table, um, whether or not it's theatrical or a combination of theatrical and PVOD, um, but uh, there's lots of options on how we can actually get the Palm movie out to the consumer um, come August. And we're very keyed in on that date and and, uh, and not wavering from it. All right, great. And if I could just squeeze one last one in, uh, maybe for Mark. Uh, we just heard some commentary from other consumer companies on some congestion at ports. Uh, can you maybe share any color? Are you hearing anything like that, or are distribution channels generally okay for you? Um, hi, Sabah. Yeah. Uh, just, just to add one point before I answer that to what Renan said on, on the um, Batman movie, just to be clear, that is moving to 2022, uh, Saba, which is within our license window uh, currently. Just, just to, to, you know, just to complete the uh, the question there. So no, no issues on that front. With regard to congestion and shipping, uh, yes, it's an industry-wide issue. Uh, it's, it's not uh, specific to any one sector. We are seeing that as well. Um, it's come from a reduction in in shipping capacity in the market. And also, uh, waiting times and unloading times at ports have increased due to much larger ships that are carrying more containers. And so that is actually causing uh, some congestion and inflation right now. We did expect some of that uh, in 2020 when we were planning for 2021. Um, but to the extent that it continues for the rest of the year, there might be some uh, impact on, on margins for us and for everyone else because the rates are up right now around 20%. Um, compared to where they were about six or eight months ago. Okay, thanks very much. 
Our next question comes from Adam Schein with National Bank Financial. Your line is now open. Uh, thanks a lot. Good morning. Maybe we'll start with Renan, building on some of the Saba questions. Uh, on the entertainment front, we you know we heard a lot a week or so ago from Mattel and Hasbro really looking to accelerate the exploitation of, of their IP. Um, I imagine you'll speak a bit more to this, Renan, maybe next week at the investor event. But can, can you speak about at all some of the effort to maybe uh, accelerate uh, some of the activity uh, on the entertainment side uh, moving ahead? Uh, and then, you know, for Mark, a couple of questions, but just, just on the back of the entertainment one, you've given some additional detail on depreciation and amortization related to entertainment, but is, is there any further accounting metrics you can provide us with uh, or sort of guide us on in regards to how to properly account uh, maybe an H2 for that Paw Patrol movie? Uh, and then I'll circle back, Mark, if you don't mind, for a few more guidance questions. Thanks. Hey, Adam. Um, hey. You know, our, our approach is, our approach is uh, uh, slightly different to, to um, some of our competitors, but uh, we've, we have, you know, and as we've been saying to you guys for years, and we've always been working on a rich pipeline and, and um, developing new television shows and bringing them out. So we actually have shows that are, that are greenlit um, and that uh, are in production. Um, that are coming out in the future. And so we'll be sharing that with, with you guys. Um, I don't know if we'll share it with you guys in, in uh, March 9th, specifically what they are, but I can tell you that, that the pipeline is, is uh, robust and the slate of um, development properties is robust. Um, and we're looking to always green light one to two new properties every single year. And so I would say an acceleration would be, um, you know, to try to get to that two new properties a year would be an acceleration for us um, over and above keeping all the existing properties uh, maintained and fresh in the marketplace. And then I would say the other thing that is I'm very proud of the team is, you know, the ability for us to produce um, our first ever feature film. And uh, I think it's really important for everybody to understand that that are actually producing the film. We didn't license the film out to Universal or Paramount and and uh, and take a royalty on it. Our team internally in Toronto produced the films. We hired the writers. We hired the directors. We uh, we casted. We, we did the whole casting with all that amazing voice talent for Paw Patrol. We got the, the stars. Uh, we found the best people in the industry to do the music, um, you, you guys are going to love that. You, you, we'll tell you more on, on March 9th, who's, who's singing the main song for, for, uh, uh, for the movie. So the team's really um, proud of them to actually uh, go to a different aspect of storytelling and produce a full animated feature film. And so in terms of increasing our output, you will see more film coming from Spin Master in the future. And I think that gives us a whole new way to actually entertain kids, um, which we've never had before in the, in the past. And that gives us uh, just an, it's an extra, it's an extra quiver or extra arrow in the, in the quiver. So I think that's more about the, the, I wouldn't call it acceleration. I would say more consistency um, and also now diversity and how we can out how we can actually
Thank you. Uh, Adam, Adam, in terms of your question around uh, accounting for the movie, um, just in general, if you recall, um, when we actually produce entertainment content, what we do is we capitalize it and it sits on our balance sheet until we deliver it and then we amortize it. Up until this point, we've only done TV shows and we deliver those TV shows uh, you know, in, in episodes and we, we amortize proportionately. There's no real difference uh, as it relates to the movie, except that it's more condensed in the sense that there's one delivery as opposed to 26 episodes of delivery. So we've been capitalizing the costs of the production onto our balance sheet, and then when we deliver it, we will amortize that. And then in addition to that, um, you, we'll have receipts uh, from the movie in terms of our deal with Paramount. We'll also have licensing and merchandising income that flows in. We'll have toy sales, obviously, that will continue to go in. And most of that will actually happen in Q3. And so what I'm going to suggest we do is that um, maybe uh, Sophia can work with you offline together with you and all your, you know, all the other analysts to make sure that your models accurately reflect what's going to be happening in Q3 as it relates to the accounting. But that's the principle in general. Great. And then just in terms of some of the guidance elements, I mean, with, with the marketing spend moving up, you know, towards 10%, as you alluded to, Mark, it sort of speaks to the fact that you know, there's going to be some, let's call it efficiencies elsewhere in the mix. Uh, we know that distribution, as you, you know, called out, $50 million of additional spend in 2020. Um, so maybe I'll push you a little bit on that. Is, is that a metric per revenue that ultimately is destined to go back, you know, towards the 2018 level where we go, you know, to 4% or, or maybe even lower? And then as well, when I think about, you know, the other key lever, notwithstanding some of the other seven levers you sort of hinted at before, but the other lever being gross profit with some of the benefits you alluded to coming out of other revenue, by implication, gross profit margin, I'm not going to say has to, but it, it certainly looks very likely to get back to 50% at a minimum. Uh, and I don't know if you want to further qualify that. Is, is, are, we, are we ultimately moving back to a level of gross margin that you know can push a point or two above 50%. Thanks. Yeah. Okay, so Adam, I mean, the short answer is is yes. I mean, that's definitely a level that, we, we, that we've achieved in the past and that we want to meet and beat. So, yeah. so you know, the, the, the gross margins that we've seen in the 40s are not numbers that we're happy with or satisfied with in any way. And so we want to be at 50% or even higher, and that is going to be a, a big driver of, uh, increased profitability in 2021. Uh, in addition, we, we see our distribution costs coming down. We're entering with, with a strong run rate, and we feel very comfortable about our distribution infrastructure. You know, it will tick up a little bit compared to 2018, for example, because we do have a higher uh, European footprint, and the costs in Europe are a little bit more, so we will see some, some mixed shifts happening in, in distribution. In the case of marketing at 10, you know, 10%, we see we see us driving a strong, a stronger ROI on that 10% than we have in the past. If you, if you look at what we did in 2020, we we spent less, but we actually generated a very strong ROI. And we've retooled our marketing group, and we're we're much more nimble, much more agile now, much more able to move more quickly and drive drive spend to where it needs to go. And so we're comfortable that at the 10% level, we'll drive even better sell-through and better results. 
In terms of the other costs, we'll obviously be watching our admin costs very carefully, trying to drive as much operating leverage as we can. Product development costs will stay at around 2% of revenue, no major change. And then you've got um, then you've got the selling costs, which are purely variable and you know are driven off of our um, our mix uh, and licensing mix. So I don't see any major changes on on those fronts. But hopefully, between higher gross margin and all the other factors I mentioned, we'll we'll be able to to get our adjusted EBITDA margins back to where we uh, were historically, and and hopefully even better as the years progress. And if I may, I uh, just thought I'd because you did bring it up. Uh, I guess it ticked up a little bit higher in in 2020. Um, certainly, it looked as though there were some consultancy fees uh, that helped elevate that at a minimum in the Q4. Is, is that something that we're likely to see more of, or that was just a function of some of the retooling uh, in regards to the reorg that Ronan sort of spoke about and perhaps, I don't know, anything related to resolving some of those remediation issues. Um, Adam, you know, we are investing in people to drive further growth, um, but we're also looking at operating leverage. We have, a, we have a significant ability to grow our sales footprint without adding any additional uh, people, uh, particularly in our 28 offices around the world. You know, the one thing to keep in mind in 2020 was the approximately uh, $6 million uh, legal settlement that is sitting in admin costs, which was added back for adjusted EBITDA, but is sitting in those costs and and some incremental recruiting and, and consulting costs that, uh, we, that we incurred in, in 2020, which will not be repeating in 2021. So overall, I'm comfortable that our admin costs are um, within the range that we need them to be. And as I said to you, we continue to focus on, on driving as much leverage as we can. Great. Thank you for that. Our next question comes from Jamie Katz with Morningstar. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning. I'm hoping you guys can help us think about capital demands um, of the business and how that might trend over time. So. I think when we look at CapEx, it obviously bumps up pretty significantly. But as we think longer out, what sort of level should we think about is really required to protect the company's competitive position? Uh, good morning, Jamie. Um, you know, typically we've guided to around five to six percent of revenue uh, for CapEx. About two thirds of that relates to entertainment, and the remaining one third relates to uh, toy and digital gaming most of it being toy. Um, I would say to you that's a reasonable level for 2021. You, you know, looking forward, that might tick up towards the uh, 6% level more consistently. Uh, as we grow our entertainment footprint, uh, we'll, you know, we'll spend more on CapEx. Our, our tooling for the toy business won't change dramatically, but what we are starting to see is as our digital games business grows, we are investing more into digital games, and so there might be uh, increased spend on digital games driving a slightly higher CapEx rate. But I think for your models, for 2021, stay with 5 to 6%, and then in the longer term, maybe trending more towards the upper end of that range. Okay, that's really helpful. And then as we think about the um, RC and interactive characters business getting um, largely consolidated, it looks like, into that girls business, does that imply to us that this is sort of a new base level for um, for Hatchimals going forward? Or can you talk a little bit about maybe um, how you're thinking about reinvigorating demand there so that it, it grows sort of uh, more quickly back to historical levels? Well, 
just keep in mind, we've seen a major unwind in Hatchimals over the last two years from the levels that we saw in 2018. Uh, in 2019, if you remember, Hatchimals was down over $230 million. In 2020, it was down another $70 million, and that, and that dragged down the, the RC category quite significantly and our overall sales for that matter. Um, but, you know, we, we see Hatchimals at a level now where any further uh, decrease will not be material um, to our overall business um, numbers. And uh, we're continuing to focus on building the line, both the low price point and high price point. Hatchimals Crystal Flyers did very well in 2020. It was sold out. We actually were out of stock and we couldn't get enough. But it's still a, a meaningful part of our business, but certainly not to the levels that it used to be before. Renan, would you like to add anything to that? No, I think that's fine. Thank you. Our next question comes from George Dumais with Scotia Bank. Your line is open. Yeah, good morning and uh, congrats on, on a strong quarter. Um, I had two questions I wanted to ask you guys about um, GPS guide of low to mid single digits. Um, just wondering, within that guide, is there anything embedded for outperformance or underperformance within our within our toy segments, or do you see that as pretty homogeneous? Good morning, George. Um, when you say outperformance, just clarify specifically what you mean, please. Yeah, I think you guys got it for like low to mid single digits. So I'm wondering if, one, if you'll see one segment materially above that and one materially below below that, or do you expect all the segments to kind of be within that kind of bracket? Yeah. So so when we guide our GPS, George, we we typically don't guide to you know below that level in terms of the individual product groupings that that we publish. So what I would say to you is that we look at our business as a portfolio, some up and some down, um, and so overall. Our guidance is for uh, low to mid uh, gross product sales for the toy business. And uh, there will be things that go up and there will be things that go down. And that's just the nature of the industry that we're in. But that's on a blended basis, portfolio basis, the way that we see the business moving for 2021. Okay. And, and um, you know, it was a pretty impressive working capital reversal in the quarter. Um, can you talk about that a little bit uh, in terms of kind of the inventory levels and how should we think of that? Uh, moving into 2021. Yeah, so 2020 was an unusual year because we ended 2019 with exceptionally high inventory and also um, receivables were, were, in, were higher than normal. And so we spent a tremendous amount of time as a management team focused on networking capital. The sales and the operations and the finance teams all worked together really closely to bring inventory levels down from 185 million to just over 100 million at the end of uh, 2020. And, uh, you know, in terms of our overall core networking capital percentage, we landed up at 13.1%. We also brought uh, accounts receivable down uh, nearly $80 million year over year. So in all aspects, we focused very clearly on generating a free cash flow, which was a very significant underperforming area in 2019. And I think we did a stellar job as a company in, in achieving our goals. Going forward for 2021, I think you're, you should be modeling around the same levels. I think it would be uh, unrealistic to assume we could generate anywhere close to the kind of improvements uh, that we saw last year uh, going forward. So, you, you know, I would say to you around the 13%, 13.5% core working capital uh, as a percentage of sales would be a reasonable uh, metric to look at. Okay, thanks. And maybe one last one for Ronan. The appetite um, 
for a larger acquisition in the, in the uh, digital gaming space. Is, is that a potential we can see, or something you can see this year, or is it mainly like smaller and, nurture, smaller and kind of nurture philosophy that we saw with Toka? Yeah, I, I, you know, we're, we're open to different things, but I think that um, our strategy and approach is going to be focused on smaller studios that are out in the marketplace, the smaller uh, products that they have that can be um, brought into the fold. Um, we're looking for great products with amazing studios, with really good talent, um, and, uh, and there's a lot of them out there, and, and talent and studios that can benefit from our large network and also our, our expertise now that we're starting to uh, build. We're not starting, but we're, we're getting deeper into, which is you know, acquiring uh, users and um, being able to acquire users for low cost. So I think that uh, focusing on smaller acquisitions and doing more of them is, is probably a better approach for us, for us than, than buying larger, um, uh, larger, bigger studios um, that come with uh, a lot of complexity to them. So I think that uh, we're, we're slow and steady, um, but very focused on the area. Okay, thank you. Our next question comes from Jared Johnson with EMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Great. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Um, Mark, I think uh, you're very detailed in your outlook for 2021, so I appreciate that. Uh, one line I didn't hear, I may have missed it, was your forecast for sales allowances. Um, what would that be? Uh, thanks, Gary. Hi. Um, Typically, Garrick, we've historically operated in the 10 to 12% range. I think for 2021, we'll be towards the upper end of that range, but below 12% is our, is our goal. Great. That's very helpful. And then um, I'm gonna, I have a couple more here. Um, selling, marketing, distribution, and product development, that was probably the biggest surprise, positive surprise relative to our model. Uh, you did discuss uh, distribution, but I was curious about product development with a lot of the projects you have going on. Um, how did that trend, and, and how are you looking at that in 2021, the product development side? Um, maybe, Renan, I'll go first numerically, and then you can jump in uh, with any context. Um, Gary, typically our product development costs are uh, around 2% of sales. Keep in mind, though, that's not our full uh, R&D spend. It's, it's important to understand that because part of our product development spend is variabilized through our inventor royalties, which actually sit in our selling expenses. Um, but in terms of the straight numbers that you see on the P&L, um, around 2% is, is, the, is the range that we will continue to, to operate in. I mean, we are you know, continually looking at areas to expand into and, and think about. Um, but Renan, maybe you could, you could comment on that. Sure, Garrick, I just want to make sure I understand your question. Are you saying from, from a qualitative perspective, how's our product development going, or just to, if you can clarify? Well, the change in that line was $135 million from $165 million, right? And, and distribution was down 24. So I'm kind of asking what was product development uh, and, and how did that trend year over year in the fourth quarter, and then what we should anticipate that line trending in 2021, and Mark said it's usually 2%, and I'd assume that's partly period expenses and partly DNA coming through, but but anyway, what, what should we expect for the product development in 2021? 
you know, I, I can tell you that the team is, the team is, first of all, they're working overtime um, during COVID to, to bring the products out. It's actually, um, uh, it's a tough environment for them to work in from a creative perspective, but the team is doing an exceptional job. And uh, the team is keeping the pipeline for all the core categories that we're in, and um, they're keeping them very full and very robust. And, and I would say pushing the envelope in terms of freshness, newness, innovation. Um, and uh, I think you guys will enjoy uh, the presentation on uh, next week. Um, so you'll be able to get a glimpse into all the new products that the team's been working on. And I think that will give you a better understanding of everything once you see all the products. All right, maybe I'll move on to something a little bit more more uh, or qualitative and quantitative here. Um, Mighty Express, kind of curious about the performance there and what your expectations are for Toyline. And then I'll throw you a softball. Uh, Wizarding World, uh, what are the upcoming uh, planned events that Warner has that will support that and help, help you guys drive toy sales? You know, Garrick, you can throw us a hardball. You can, you can constantly <laughs> throw us hardball. We like usually when you throw do. us hardball. <laughs> usually do. Uh, I think that, you know, Wizarding World is, is, is the response has been amazing um, for retail, especially in Europe. They are really, really excited about the product line. So I can just tell you it's really very, very exciting. Um, I think we can share more details uh, with you on March 9th in terms of uh, some of the stuff that um, Warner Brothers is going to do to support that. Um, but uh, so far, very good from, from that front. It's really good. And uh, in terms of Mighty Express, um, you know, Mighty Express is doing well. Um, and it is, I would definitely say that uh, when you're starting with SVOD, um, it's a slower build. And um, we're going to uh, take a, a, a combo approach to this whereby you have the SDOD and then in certain other markets when um, linear comes online, um, go to linear. And so you really need to be able to, to have SDOD, linear, uh, YouTube, all the channels working together to get you the most amount of exposure um, uh, before you put the product line into the marketplace. And so we're constantly looking at awareness levels um, and to make sure that the awareness levels are neat, are the awareness levels are at the point when it's appropriate and there's enough awareness to put the product into the marketplace. And so that's the key thing that we're focused on is building up awareness um, and then putting the product in, into the marketplace and not, not doing things um, based on old ways of thinking because everything has changed so much. So we're being very uh, uh, particular um, and measured when we actually go out and put the toys into the marketplace, plus our other licensed and merchandising partners. Um, but I'd say the show has been well received and uh, we continue to drop new seasons into Netflix um, and the awareness is building. But we're taking, I, 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 would say, I, would say, I would say like this is that it's, it's gonna take longer than your traditional um, preschool approach just because of the dislocation between linear and SDOD in 2021, in this current state of the market. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then, uh, sorry, I, I do have one more uh, quantitative question from Mark. Um, input costs, how they're gonna affect you this year? Because 
you know, Mattel called out 200 basis points of gross margin hit from input costs, and they're the only ones. You know, no other toy company has, has brought that up. Uh, even a little old Jack specific is saying they're not seeing anything. So why? Are, what are you seeing on input costs? Um, because you know, if Mattel is seeing 200 basis points, I think there's got to be something out there. So what's your what's your uh, comment on that? Um, Garrick, hi. Yeah, we we you know we are seeing some emerging signs of some input cost increases in Asia. As I, I spoke to the uh, shipping cost element earlier, which I'm not going to repeat. Um, the other element that we're seeing is is uh, plastic resin, some inflation in that area. But but the point is that uh, at this point we don't know if it's sustainable for the full part of the year. And and you know our suppliers have purchased fairly significant quantities in advance based on the orders mm-hmm. that we've given them. So there might be some impact later in the year and into 2022. Um, I, I don't think we we can quantify it like some of our competitors might have. But, but there's definitely something there, and we're watching it very closely and looking at ways to mitigate any uh, input cost impact in our margins this year. That's why I also want to be more measured in terms of our, our margin improvement, because there is some elements of inflation that, that might come in that we cannot contain. So we just have to take a measured approach, and it, it, it is early in the year at this point. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Renan. Thanks. Thank uh, you. I think we're going to have time for maybe uh, two more questions at most. We want to try and wrap up by 11. Thank you for sticking with us uh, for a longer period of time. Our next question comes from Steph Lissing with Jeffries. Your line is open. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Most of our questions have been asked, but two just to tidy up. The first is on games. Um, It was a category that was a point of emphasis a couple of years ago and even last year when we were together at Toy Fair. So if you could just talk about that category, what you're seeing, the most recent acquisition of Rubik's, what your plans are for expansion of the games business. And then secondarily, a number of your key retail accounts, particularly in the U.S., but also in Europe, are really driving omni-channel businesses now with click and collect and e-commerce. Can you talk a little bit about how you're supporting those initiatives, how that might change, how you market and merchandise, and you know what you're doing with some of your big brands to create online stores um, and really leverage some of those platforms. Thank you. Hi, Steph. Thanks. Uh, I'll, take, I'll, I'll take the first part of the question, and then, Renan, maybe you can take the second part. In, in terms of games, um, the, your question on games, Steph, there really are four categories to our games business. And, and you know, the first one is family board and action games, which is actually the largest category. We have a pretty solid market share, and our growth outpaced the industry in 2020. Um, so so we, we feel pretty good about that. Then you have family standard games, which is where most of the classics sit. And, uh, again, we saw strong sales in, in 2020 on, on that category. The third category is adult puzzles. We're one of the top four manufacturers in that space, but we are the fastest growing. And again, we grew our share in in 2020 over 2019. The final category is children's games and preschool games. In that category, we were actually down versus the industry. You saw our our overall games uh, in Q4 was not as much as many of you might have expected. So we were actually down against the industry, and that was mainly driven by the softening in licenses that we had. Licenses like Baby Shark, LOL and Toy Story were down. Some of them are more, you know, tend towards more in-store traffic and impulse purchases. Um, but 
with new theatrical in 2020 around zero, that was definitely a factor. And we do see growth in 2021 in this area as theatrical licenses uh, expand again. So hopefully that gives you some color on the games and puzzles area. Renan, would you like to talk about the omni-channel in marketing? Yeah, sure. Uh, Steph, it's, it's unbelievable because, you know, you must be listening to our board meeting yesterday. <laughs> you know, half the board meeting was, was uh, on this topic. Um, it is, uh, it's unbelievable what's happened in the marketplace. That's, uh, COVID has definitely accelerated everything. Um, and it's amazing to see each retailer, especially the large ones like Target, Walmart, each react in their own, you know, nuanced way. Um, and uh, I can just tell you that our teams are really focused on on this change in the way the consumer is shopping um, and making sure that uh, we're going to market effectively and really and looking even internally how we're actually organized um, structurally with our teams and the competencies and capabilities that you really need to be able to to um, uh, win and and really connect with the consumer in this in this digital shopping space and 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 it's interesting because for us I mean the omni channel is is just it just means it's everything it's digital it's retail it's foot traffic um, and so uh, we're very focused on it we're very focused on it we're very focused with each large retailer um, to uh, to bring out unique programs and everything from like looking at everything like uh, you know data leakage to the search and and making sure that we're re relevant and uh, uh, we're very focused on it. Um, I think that uh, on, on March 9th we can actually, when uh, uh, Laura presents, she can give you a, a closer look at what we're doing from a marketing perspective. Um, you know, on some of our larger brands to answer your 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 question on that. Uh, but we can give you a, a deeper dive on how we're doing it, if that's okay. It is. Thank you. Looking yeah. forward to next week. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Look, look, looking forward to seeing you, too. Hey, let's last. make this uh, last question, operator, please. Our last question comes from Martin Landry with Cecil. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning, guys. Um, just a quick uh, follow-up on, on the acquisition front. Uh, you know, you have a rising cash balance that gives you increased flexibility. And, and Ronan, it, it seems that it will be a, a focus of you and, and Anton in 2021 20, and onwards. So just wondering if you could talk a little bit about what, what would be the sweet spot in terms of size um, for you um, for acquisitions? You know, I, I uh, you know, I'm, I'm reticent to comment exactly what the what the sweet spot is because I we're more focused on looking for quality companies with amazing management um, and uh, and focused on that. And the size is um, obviously we're not we have a an approach of we like to do measured um, small to medium sized acquisitions. Um, and we think that's a more of a, a strategic approach for us. So it's it's hard for me to comment comment on the size, and I also think it's it differs by creative center. It could be 
different in games. It can be different in entertainment. It can be different in, in toys. So I wouldn't want to uh, pigeonhole us in any dollar amount. Um, and and but what I can tell you is that we are very focused on it, um, and we're spending more time in the area. Um, we're casting the net wider. We're going deeper into each vertical of each creative center, um, looking at new media, looking at games, uh, obviously toys, traditional toys, looking for puck-in acquisitions, um, certain assets like the Rubik's Expander Games business, uh, other things for the activities part of our business. Um, uh, is there anything in the entertainment area that's or new media? Uh, so we're going to be casting the, web, the, the net wide. Um, but again, everything is grounded on, we really want amazing teams, amazing individuals. Um, we don't want to be, uh, uh, you know, micromanaging companies that we buy. We want to bring in amazing talent. And I think the, the incredible thing today is that there is a lot of talented people out there. There's a lot of talented companies. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that want to join Spin Master and join the journey of what we're doing. Um, and we're on the lookout for those talented individuals that have started companies that want to continue staying with their companies, but for but want to monetize or feel that it's better to expand and grow with with us and want to be around our talent pool, um, and uh, and are very passionate about what they do. And I think that's really the essence of of our M and A strategy, which is you know a, a very micro version of it, is really looking for. Uh, the, the talent out there. And I think the days of, you know, you, you bring in companies and, and you like, you like integrate the companies and all that type of stuff. It's yes, there's a place for it, but really the, the amazing thing that we're seeing in the marketplace is talented individuals that want to join Spin Master that have incredible products and incredible teams that can actually take us into new spaces. So when you look at Toka Boca and Sago Mini, that was that is really one of the, the classic acquisitions models that we'd like to actually emulate with amazing teams um, in uh, creative new spaces. So it's a I gave you a different type of answer, but I hope you're satisfied. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. No problem. Okay. And that concludes our question and answer session for today. I'll now turn the call over to Mark Siegel for closing comments. Well, thank you, everybody, particularly for staying, us, uh, staying with us for so long. Uh, you know, as always, Sophia and I are available to answer any follow-up questions, and we look forward to talking to you on the 9th for our Investor and Analyst Day and talking more about our product lines and our strategy. So thank you all, and uh, have a great day. Bye. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.